from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Happy New Year's and welcome to U.S. Farm Report this first weekend of 2022. And it's a special edition taking a look back at 2021 while also looking ahead over the next 60 minutes. From the Texas freeze to Hurricane Ida. I don't think it'll be good for a couple years after this one. It's, it's just too much trash on the bottoms now. Weather was a hurdle for many this year. And in the south, north, and even the west, it was a pest problem. This fall armyworm outbreak is the worst I've seen in my career. That's as producers battled grasshoppers and armyworms. So what did we learn when it comes to the markets in 2021? And John Phipps has a perspective this New Year's weekend. Looking back on 21. Well, 2021 turned out to be a costly weather year, from droughts, hurricane, to even wildfires. Farmers and ranchers battled weather all year. As of October, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration reported 18 different weather and climate disaster events that posted losses that exceeded $1 billion. The 1980 to 2020 annual average is 7.1 events. That's before the tornadoes and wildfires even hit areas like Kentucky and Kansas in December. But one of the biggest weather events to start off 2021 was the deep freeze in Texas that happened in February. And the winter blast crippled power sources, having a negative effect on the supply chain as well as the entire power grid. And months later, those issues still lingered. From dairy farmers forced to dump milk to citrus crop wiped out by the frigid temperatures, reports show the economic losses across Texas are as high as $130 billion. And from the Gulf all the way up the eastern seaboard, Hurricane Ida demolished grain terminals, even wiping out New Jersey's largest dairy. Estimates from NOAA show the hurricane caused more than $60 billion in damages. But just in Louisiana, that price tag sets at $584 million for the state's ag industry. And as this week in Louisiana shows us, producers are still recovering from the September storms. The devastation was widespread, causing billions of dollars of damage throughout the Gulf of Mexico, Louisiana, and Mississippi. In the days after Hurricane Ida left Louisiana, the storm traveled northeast, causing severe damage in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York, and other New England states. According to the National Hurricane Center, Hurricane Ida was one of the costliest U.S. Atlantic hurricanes, with damage estimates in the ballpark of $65 billion, ranking fifth behind Hurricanes Katrina, Harvey, Maria, and Sandy. Here in Louisiana, a lot of that damage was to homes, businesses, and infrastructure, like the miles and miles of power lines that were brought to the ground. The damage to agriculture was hard to miss as well, as we traveled the state covering the storm. For example, in southern Lafouche Parish, many cattle were stranded, and ranchers from neighboring parishes and states came to the aid of ranchers who couldn't move their cattle from the storm-ravaged areas. Ray Sheremy says hay was only part of his stranded cattle's needs. Drinking water was also a concern. Those cows stayed at least four nights that they could not lay down unless they were laying down in water. Now it's starting to dry up. It's still wet, but they can lay down and not be in standing water. My biggest concern is uh, the water to drink. All that grass is rotten. The grass stinks. The water stinks. And I'm concerned that they might get sick by drinking that nasty water. 
The Louisiana seafood industry was hit hard by Hurricane Ida. Our friend Tammy Arnder traveled down to Jean Lafitte to see how folks in the shrimping industry would bounce back. One shrimper she spoke with says he expects fishing to be tough for the next couple of years. It's going to be a mess out there. It's going to be, it, I don't think it'll be good for a couple of years after this one. It's, it's just too much trash on the bottoms now. Further inland, timber was also hit hard by the Category 4 winds. Loose soils, heavy rains, and hurricane force winds came together to create disaster for property near LaRanger. According to property manager, the economics of replacing down timber gets really difficult following storms like Ida. Going forward, it's extremely expensive for the replanting, and when you don't have the income from a harvest to offset those expenses, it gets to be substantial. Other areas of agriculture damaged by Hurricane Ida include citrus in Plaquemines Parish, produce in Terrebonne Parish, and fall produce crops in the Florida parishes. Sugarcane harvest is still underway. Estimates show about 25% of the state's crop was in Ida's path, but we will not know how the storm affected yields until harvest is done in January. In the dates following the storm, sugarcane farmers could not work in their fields. So they banded together to help those in Ida's path. The first message I saw was from Mike Malone, so a friend of mine from St. Martin Parish, which is far from St. James. Other than Farm Bureau, I probably wouldn't know him as well as I do. And the message simply said, see you tomorrow morning. Thanks again to our friends at This Week in Louisiana. Up next, we talked to two meteorologists about drought and the La Nina factor for 2022. Well, December brought much needed snow to California as the state saw its wettest start to the water year on record. But with the droughts tight grip on the entire West this year, 2021 was a grueling year for those who saw record temps and little moisture. After an extremely dry year, the tone started to change in California at the very end of 2021. From torrential rains to several feet of snow, the moisture helped improve the snowpack in the Sierra Nevada mountains. We could be looking at a Sierra Nevada snow water equivalency as we start the new year, perhaps around 15 inches, and that puts us halfway to a normal year. It gives us all of January, February, and March to get that other 15 inches to put us up to a normal season. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says even with the snow, he's cautious about 2022. We are coming off of two years of drought in California, seven years of drought in the last 10. And what that means is that we need an above average snowpack this year to fully alleviate the drought impacts that have built up over the last two years. That's as California and portions of the West have a huge hole to climb when it comes to getting out of this drought. This map from AgWeb shows North Dakota saw average spring snowfall 40 inches below normal this past year. And with much of the plains, Northwest and West missing snow and moisture during critical water storage months. And Rippey says areas like California still need at least 150% of normal snowfall to end the drought by spring. If we were to end with a normal snowpack, 30 inches of water equivalency, that would not fully end the drought because some of that moisture would go into soil moisture regeneration, reservoir recharge, but it wouldn't leave a lot of uh, runoff to go to the municipalities, to the farms, and we would probably end up short 
on total runoff for the 2022 spring and summer. But for World Weather's Drew Lerner, it was the record-breaking heat that was one of the major weather headlines of 2021. Well, I think certainly the, the heat that occurred in this drought this past year, that uh, temperature of 122 degrees in British Columbia, there's, <laughs> there's not going to be anything that's going to top that for a long time down the road. This AgWeb map shows the temperature rankings by climate district from June 1st to August 15th. And with one being the warmest period on record, several records were broken across the west and northwest this past year. That's as drought plus heat hit crop and livestock production hard in some areas. For the Northern Plains, it was a one-year event. It was rather rather harsh, though. We did lose a lot of production across the area. And what's interesting about this whole scenario with the Northern Plains and parts of Canada, but it wasn't just in North America. And for Lerner, things are looking better in some areas of the country, like the Northern Plains. Uh, the Northern U.S. Plains already seeing a, a lot of snow systems coming through. That should continue for a while. So when we come into spring, I think the moisture situation in the Northern Plains will be all right. I don't know that we're going to fix the, the deep subsoil moisture deficits in Montana or the Western Dakotas quite yet, but there will at least be moisture there to plant with, and that's really important to get started. That's as meteorologists say La Nina will continue to be a factor in 2022. Well, from weather to other factors in the markets, what did we learn in 2021? Mark Gold and Bob Utterback join us next. Well, it's our first roundtable of 2022. Bob Utterback and Mark Gold joining me for that. Now, when I reached out to both of them to ask if they would be on the panel, Mark Gold quickly responded and said, well, I see you're having the older gentleman on the panel this weekend. And I said, no, 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 no. It's called seasoned and experienced. OK, so Bob and Mark, it's because of your experience that you're on this weekend to talk about what we learned in 2021. All compliments are accepted. <laughs> I'm glad you view it that way. All right. Now, looking back at 2021, what a volatile year. We had some highs put in on certain commodities early. Cotton was really off to the races and a lot of volatility when it came to the livestock markets. But Mark, when you look back at 2021, what, what did we learn? I think what we learned is the Chinese can move a market very quickly. They were huge buyers, you know, December, January, February, March, ran the markets up. We had kind of a rough spring. And uh, the markets made their highs, I think it was in May and June. And then we backed off substantially as the Chinese buying uh, evaporated. Now we're in a situation where we're still waiting for all this wanted Chinese buying to hit the market. And we haven't really seen it. Yet the market's been up uh, very strong here the last seven, eight days on the dry weather in South America. So right now, weather is trumping demand. And that'll continue until they get some good rains in southern Brazil and northern Argentina. Yeah, you know, Bob, Mark mentioned that we had the highs that came a little bit earlier than we typically do, but it seems like the last couple of years, we haven't seen these, you know, consistent trends like we have in previous years. And there's really some anomalies when it come to the, comes to the markets. Is this just kind of a, how you think it will be from now on, or has this been abnormal in 2021? I, I want to lean to the abnormal side. I think the influence of the inflation expectation. We've, you know, we've had a, the COVID has been a tremendous shock to the world economies. And then we had a change in our policy towards energy. And you, so you, you raised the price of crude oil on, a, on top of a distribution system that was straining. 
in the distribution system, I don't think it was going to get resolved quickly. And so in inflation, I think the Fed has already made the statement that they're going to try to slow down the recovery after this current COVID is over. But the demand side of the market has been was strong early on, as Mark mentioned about the Chinese. They came in and then they backed off very quickly this year. And now the question is going forward, uh, will the trade policies be as strong or will we start seeing some of the producers of the world start saying, hey, we can't let our food prices get out of hand. So we're going to start protecting our food prices before we let exports, which creates a tremendous amount of uncertainty and volatility in the market. So I think violence, volatility, uncertainty is the wave of the future. And that means as a producer, you got to decide what you want from the market. And when the market gives it to you, sell your crop in such a way that you can have an out, which is the put philosophy of sell cash, long call or long put. But being short the futures or short cash is tough. And doing nothing is like Mark suggested. We had a high early and you saw a big drop. So it's not going to be an easier market. I think it's going to be as tough or tougher in the future. Yeah, but Mark, some of those farmers that were holding on to old crop, you know, they won big this year. They were able to hold on and maybe some of them sold uh, at near those highs. Some, though, capitalized on the fact they were able to forward sell. I mean, it seems like there's some mixed reactions, but do you think there were any lessons on some of those strategies this year? Well, I think it's the old case that, you know, two out of every 10 years, we seem to have a bull market and uh, the guys that don't do the marketing, hold on to the grain, do really well. Uh, the other eight out of 10 years where the markets have a tendency to break, they give it all back plus instead of being consistent risk managers throughout the whole process over a 10 year period. I've always said marketing isn't about this year. It's about 10 years and being profitable in each of those 10 years. And looking at what we've got here today, you've got new crop corn over 550. You've got new crop beans over 1250. I've been saying that you just can't afford to let these prices slip away from you considering the input costs on fertilizer, rent, seed, everything else that's going into the input costs are going up and you can't turn around and then look at $10 beans or $9 beans or $4 corn and think this is going to work. All right. Well, when you talk about inflation, you talk about supply chain, China, there's a lot of factors that we're watching heading into 2022. We'll talk to Bob Utterback and Mark Gold about that later on this special edition of U.S. Farm Report this New Year's weekend. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by AgriGold, your seed ally in the field with unparalleled options that perform on your farm. Learn more at agrigold.com. Well, what did we learn or fail to see in 2021? Here's John Phipps. The poet Shelley wrote, we look before and after and pine for what is not. It seems appropriate this year, although there are some things we might not have pined for. South Korea joined the Death Cross Club where deaths exceed births. Countries above the line have more births than death. Notice the difference between 1972 when only Germany was in the club and 2019. Boomers exited the workforce in droves. Over 90% of the continuing labor force decline has been workers over 55. More than people too lazy to work, we have more people, thanks to government payments and a booming stock market, who can retire earlier than they imagined. We steadily cut the cable. 
It's all about streaming, although a lot of us are discovering we're paying pretty much the same when we add on Netflix and Disney and Hulu and yada yada. The pace of space exploration and exploitation zoomed up like, well, a rocket. SpaceX just landed its 100th booster rocket successfully and Captain Kirk finally went where several have actually gone before. Somebody blabbed that farmers were flush with cash. There were valid reasons, but ag-related corporate boards seemed to have adopted the W.C. Fields business advice. The supply chain and chip shortage were perfect excuses, and near monopolies provided the muscle. Social media may have peaked as mass media. During this year, popular platforms continued to fracture into splinter groups with hardened lines between them, while serious questions about manipulation and veracity were raised. We finally noticed the cyber war being quietly waged by, well, anybody against anybody, but especially against large corporations who can pay whopping ransoms. You don't need an army for war anymore. A record amount of amateur home improvement was perpetrated in 21. One of the top 10 projects was smart home devices, which may bring some unexpected risks. The avoidance alternative became a lifestyle. Many of us found COVID helped us to decide who we like to be around and who we merely put up with. This seemed to work and decimated group activities. For the first time, women comprised 60% of our college student body. Although this is a long-standing trend, this year brought increased scrutiny to its implications. There were, of course, many other things of note, but those are some that caught my attention. Thank you, John. And what's John watching in 2022? Well, he will share that later on the show. But first, equipment values skyrocketed to record levels this year as supplies were also tight in both the used and new market. So what did machinery Pete take away from 2021? That's next. Well, 2021 was a record year for equipment values. And machinery Pete says he learned a lot. What have I learned in 2021? I've learned it's the hottest used tractor market I've ever seen. And frankly, folks, it's not even close. Now, there's some trends working together to kind of make this happen. One is on the supply side. So farm equipment dealer use lots across the country. I've never seen them as tight as they are right now. We're just not used to that, but it's really having an effect. Another change I've noticed uh, revolves around geography. It used to really matter where a piece of equipment or a tractor sold. And, it just doesn't right now. If it's in good condition, uh, doesn't matter. East, west, north, south, it's bringing more money. Now, another factor that's played a big part is the whole growth of the online bidding, online only auctions uh, since the start of the pandemic. And this force is really like a freight train that has really worked to drive uh, values higher. And uh, this is really interesting to watch. Now, the other thing I've noticed, uh, you know, people tend to assume that these record high used tractor prices are all pre-tier four, pre-def, super low hour units. And yes, those prices have skyrocketed unbelievably, but I'm seeing that same strength with later model, uh, higher hour tractors. Now here's a couple of examples from our December 21st machinery repeat uh, monthly online auction. This 2014 John Deere 8360R with 6,179 hours on it from the state of Washington. So for 138,750 bucks, now folks, that's the highest auction price ever on an 8360 with over 5,100 hours. And again, this one had over 6,100 hours. 
and on our auction uh, December 21st, this 2015 John Deere 6190R with 1,965 hours on it from the state of Arkansas. So for 133,000 bucks, all-time record high auction price on a 6190R, and again, it was from Arkansas. Yeah, 2021 will definitely be a year we talk about for years to come when, with both equipment values as well as land value. So thank you for that perspective, Greg. Well, when we come back, wild weather turned into disaster in parts of the South and Midwest in 2021. We'll take a look at the aftermath. Plus, pest problems were costly and challenging for many row crop farmers this past year. A look at the grasshopper and army worm infestation next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Welcome back. Well, record heat was recorded in the plains and northwest this year, and drought was an unwelcome guest all year long for much of the west. The weather in 2021 also caused an infestation of some unusual pests this past year in some areas, and it also marked a first. As drought plagued the West this year, the hoppers have just taken it down to nothing. Grasshoppers took over pastures and crops in the Western Plains. But so widespread that I'm afraid it's going to be um, pretty devastating to the industry. Conditions were so dire, Southeast Oregon farmer Bob Skinner had to pull his cattle off of federal BLM land used for grazing a month and a half early. There's no pasture anywhere, period, around here. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go or how much you pay for it, you can't find pasture. A swarm of grasshoppers like this, Skinner capturing this scene in his area of Oregon. Affiliate KFYR spoke to Trevor Steak, a producer in North Dakota who's chronicling the grasshopper damage as he's documenting drought. You can see where my barley field is. I have 300 acres of barley and of hay bed barley, and all you can see is, I mean, it's it's they have eaten it to the ground. There is nothing left. In a normal year, Steak would get 1,500 to 3,000 bales on a 1,000-acre field. This year, he bailed 53. It's going to be a tough year. A lot of tough decisions are going to have to be made. And in central Wyoming, similar decisions had to be made. You know, I know people that made some pretty major adjustments real early in May and June because they could see their, their conditions were bad enough. Farmers and ranchers in the Klamath River Basin also dealt with the water crisis. Federal regulators shut off irrigation water to farmers in the reservoir earlier this year. Normally, I make about 600 tons of hay a year, and I sell half of that, and then feed the other half to my cows. Uh, this year, I got 60, so 10% of my normal. And in the south? This fall armyworm outbreak is the worst I've seen in my career. The fall armyworm outbreak in Arkansas this year is one for the record books. It's from one end of the state to the other, all four directions. It's, it's bad everywhere. As Arkansas farmers and entomologists work to battle the pest, Lorenz says 2021 was the perfect storm in the worst way. They don't call it fall armyworm for nothing. It usually strikes us late, but this year it, it started early. I've never seen so many fall armyworms 
Anywhere you go, everybody's got fall armyworms. That infestation was also something farmers and entomologists in northern Ohio faced this year. We've never seen the fall armyworm really much at all before here in the fall. A pest for which they didn't know to scout until it was too late. This is a 20 acre field and they took it out in yeah, eight to 10 hours. The Elsingers scouted an alfalfa field on Friday and saw no feeding. By Sunday, the entire field was gone. Within a matter of eight to 10 hours, they made their way across this whole field and wiped it out. Young says by the time producers know they had a problem on their hands, the caterpillars were too big for insecticides to effectively control. Suddenly the caterpillars got large enough that they were stripping the foliage off of all kinds of plants in 24 to 48 hours. An unusual and costly year for pests aided by extreme weather as grasshoppers and army worms robbed producers of crops and hay this year. Well, that drought situation continues to impact the overall cattle and small grains production picture. But what else are analysts watching in the new year? Bob Utterback and Mark Gold rejoin us next. Bob Utterback and Mark Gold rejoining us. All right, Bob, we talked about inflation in the first roundtable. It's continuing to be a factor as we head into 2022. Do you think that that dominates the markets this year? I think it'll be a major factor, inflation, uh, with the transportation bill. And I think there will be some form of uh, other domestic program that will be stimulative. And that'll give us a couple years of economic uh, inflationary activity. But the long-term implication is the change on energy policy. I've been reading some articles about biodiesel versus renewable diesel. And if the renewable diesel program, as I've re recently read, is, is actually true, and we do start seeing uh, increase in renewable energy construction of, of manufacturing, the explosion in bean demand will be significant. And that's going to be a, a, a big demand factor that could replace some of the export market share so the government could be more reactive to what china and russia does so i think there's a lot of big macro forces going here but it's not today it's um, a year to two years out there so the problem today is we got to deal with where we're at today and 550 corn and and 1250 beans is i'm talking to a lot of clients is between a 20 to 25 percent return over investment now, if you want more and you want 50 to 75% return investment, then you're going to have to go for the weather scare. But if you risk it and don't make it, you might lose 25% return investment. So that's the question you got to decide is when are you going to be satisfied and take some money off the table? And if it goes higher, use it to sell more. Well, you know, Mark, during the, the trade war, there was a lot of uncertainty for producers when it came to demand. But we're now entering a year where supply chain issues aren't just challenging, they are crippling some farmers and their ability to source certain inputs. Have you ever experienced a time where we've had this level of uncertainty, this widespread, Mark? Yeah, we've never seen anything quite like this. You know, we've seen it in other countries, Argentina, where they have the strikes, and Brazil, where they have some strikes, and that messes with the supply chain. But here in the U.S., they have these kind of issues is really unheard of. What's going to happen from here? It looks like it's starting to balance out a little bit. Car manufacturers are getting chips. They're going to get more cars in the lots. And we're seeing an improvement in some areas. So I don't know that that will be the big issue. Uh, you know, I think inflation is going to be key. Certainly weather is going to be key. And what's going to happen with Chinese demand? And of course, the other thing we have to worry about is if there's a war between, or not a war, but if Russia goes into Ukraine, 
uh, wheat prices should react very positively to that. If we break up that supply chain from Russia and Ukraine, the world's going to have to come somewhere for the for the wheat. Now the dollar's awful high. We're not going to be a most favored nation out here. But if they have to buy the wheat, we could be in that game. You know, but Mark mentioned that it seems like things are starting to balance out. But now we have this new variant. It's really headlining everything as we close out 2021 and head into 2022. So will COVID continue to be a factor that really takes hold of the markets this year? And if so, how should that be a factor in some of our, our farmers who are watching some and, and, and ranchers, some of their marketing game plans this year? Well, I think the COVID is not going to be as I think there's more fear than reality. And I think that this current COVID is not going to be as bad. But the problem is it's never going to go away. We're going to have every year we're going to have another variation to deal with. And we're going to have to learn how to live with uh, this current problem for, I think, for quite a while. And I think we're slowly getting used to that. But I'm very worried about the distribution system. The trucking industry has got a tremendous uh, deficiency of drivers to move the product. And there's going to have to be a rethinking of how product moves. We may impact in our export markets. And finally, the comment Mike, uh, Mark made about wheat is I've been kind of a bearish for wheat for the last, no, you know, thinking we're getting to $80 level. But just recently, it's been announced that uh, wheat plantings might be down as bad instead of up. And if we've lost wheat acres, and those wheat acres, I think, will go to bean acres, all of a sudden, wheat becomes a leading can uh, uh, rally potential uh, if we have any conflict with Russia. Okay, not much time. So really, really quickly, heading into 2022, which commodity, both livestock, row crops, which commodity are you most friendly on for 2022? Mark? I would have to say the wheat market. I think the storms that we saw blow through Kansas did a lot more damage than anybody really thought. The agronomists are getting into the fields and telling us that. And if Russia moves on Ukraine, which seems to be a fairly high, high percentage bet, that the wheat market will not take that well and they'll move significantly higher. Okay, Bob? I would say crude oil and it will be moved back to the 80s in which we'll put, put strength into the corn complex. And then I have secondary, I like the meats at the higher levels, but it's uh, not to be a buyer, but look to as we get to higher levels here in the seasonal, I'd be wanting to sell, lay off some risk. Bob, Mark, so great to see you. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for being on with us this weekend. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Good success for the future. Yes. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Mark. All right. We need to take a quick break. And then our special edition of U.S. Farm Report this New Year's weekend continues. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential. Pre-order by January 31st with coupon code USFR for free shipping. Well, Kentucky was hit hard by rare mid-December tornadoes. Lives were lost, homes destroyed, grain facilities and research farms were damaged and in some case flattened. But the outbreak of tornadoes also hit other areas of the South and Midwest. That includes Tennessee. And as Clinton Griffiths shows us, one farmer is humbled by the outpouring of support. Cool Springs Tennessee farmer Chris Minton is sorting through a tangled mess. I had a farm shop sitting right back here where this remaining equipment is still sitting where we're trying to get it dragged out where the people can assess it um, for insurance purposes. His farm equipment severely damaged. His shop, rated for 120 mile per hour winds, is now in pieces. Most of it two to three tenths of a mile away. The concrete footings, metal beams just mangled. <laughs> 
I don't know how strong the winds were, but it, it was way over 120. The farmhouse where he grew up, originally built in 1927, also lost. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much unrepairable, I guess would be the word. Luckily, nobody was at the farm when the tornado touched down. Chris lives a few miles away. His mother was gone, visiting family. He met a friend and fellow farmer right after the storm blew through. We looked at each other and, and looked at this and said, you know what, we gotta start walking. We gotta go this way, we gotta go this way, we gotta check on neighbors. I mean, because after seeing this, it's pitch black dark. I had no clue what any of the rest of this stuff looked like. Concern for neighbors, his first thought. Now it's those neighbors who are helping him find a way forward. It's been overwhelming, it really is. You know, the, the amount of people and the, the manpower that has helped me get as far as, you know, we are today. Um, but we're very blessed to, to have that kind of support. The future is uncertain as Chris tries to figure out what's left. Just trying to, to figure out what some of the best options are um, on some of this equipment as far as repairing some of it, uh, some of it's gonna be totaled. Just, I guess, start going to farm sales and start trying to piece back together and repair what we can and hopefully we can get parts because, you know, as we all know right now, that's a pretty, pretty tough thing to do, so. While appreciating what's still here. Just thankful that, that all my, that my family and my neighbors are, right. I mean, honestly, we're just all thankful to, to still be here, be, be walking on top of the ground. Wow. Thank you, Clinton. In Kentucky, the State Farm Bureau and Department of Agriculture have set up a GoFundMe account to collect donations. All right, when we come back, what is John Phipps watching in 2022? Looking ahead to 22. Well, there are a few things John is watching very closely for 2022. Earlier in the show, I itemized a few things I'll remember or try to forget about 2021. Now let's look ahead. Spoiler, some things may appear similar to 21. The great supply chain debacle will not disappear, but more workarounds will emerge. Under this logistical pressure, innovation will emphasize reliability over efficiency and cost. Consumer spending will be harder than ever to predict. Will inflation cause a spending surge based on the it's only going to get more expensive mindset? Or will it be pent up demand and plentiful savings? Will we be able to tell the difference? An unrelenting labor shortage will cause continuing wage inflation as well. The commercial cyber war, like ransomware, will intensify. Watch how insurance companies decide to cover paying ransoms. The biggest risks may be the electric grid and uh, the financial industry. Farmers will consider solar installations less for environmental or sustainability reasons, but self-sufficiency and dependability. The missing piece of this strategy, practical and affordable battery storage, will be the key. The farms of the Midwest will be seriously under-fertilized by previous standards anyway, in the process, we may rewrite agronomy handbooks. Insurance costs for weather damage from floods to wind to heat will rise sharply and affect every part of our economy. 
there will be as many sustainability standards as there are industries wanting to tout their sustainability. The term will effectively lose its meaning at the farm level. Maintenance and shelter will be even more valuable practices as new equipment availability and cost will push farmers to stretch machinery lifetimes. EV adoption will be mostly invisible to farmers. The market for electric buses, delivery vans, and public transport will dominate those sales. Farmers will likely see an electric UPS truck before a Tesla Model 300. As a result, rural skepticism of this trend will lead us to underestimate its impact. Landowners will take a cue from input suppliers for rent negotiations. The farm boom was mostly too late last year for many existing contracts, but not for 2022. China will inflict serious economic and political damage on itself. The effects will be worldwide and very powerful here. Now all these guesses beg closer examination, so I'll add some details later this year. Thank you, John. And remember, you can send your feedback or even your New Year's resolutions to John at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. Well, when we come back, Kansas ranchers are trying to pick up pieces and rise from the ashes. We give you a firsthand look at the wildfire devastation next. Well, hurricane-force winds and drought were a lethal combo for Kansas ranchers and farmers in December. Wildfires raged, leaving some ranchers without a home, torching fences, pastures, and even killing livestock. And as one rancher shows us, the recovery will take years. On December 15th, western Kansas faced the extreme. It unfolded pretty fast. With winds clocking in north of 100 miles per hour, warnings of wildfires came fast. I was home for about five minutes, and then the, the sky started getting really dark. It was extremely smoky. My landlord came over and said, we need to get out of here right now. But with livestock in danger, Clint Laughlin returned to the ranch with the owners of Bar S Ranch. Came back out, got those cows moved, and but right after that, uh, the wind speed changed direction on us and our fire started coming straight at us. And, and I was very nervous that we were gonna get hemmed in and so we booked it in my truck. He says at that point he had only one of two working trucks on that ranch as the winds had flipped over the others. 105 mile an hour winds that we had and fires were really raging everywhere. And uh, so it was pretty scary. But what was even scarier was with raging winds that changed directions, how those caught in the fires had to escape. I had to jump a down uh, electric uh, line pole and a couple live wires to get out, uh, but was able to get out of harm's way. Laughlin says the high winds forced over power lines and with western Kansas in drought, it sparked the wildfires in minutes. We haven't had any measurable rainfall for over 60 days, and so the dry conditions of our forage and uh, high winds plus electricity have a pretty good mix for fire. Still cautious of flare-ups the days after, Laughlin says area ranchers are assessing the damage. We've had more than 40,000 acres of, uh, of pasture burned up and multiple homes 
and, uh, and farmsteads during that time. And he says the fires were costly as he estimates losses will be well into the millions. Staggering thing that we're going to have to take some time to, to kind of recover from. From fencing to hay supplies, even homes, barns and livestock. He says the Russell and Paradise, Kansas areas are in ashes. Looking at losses in registered cattle. Uh, you know, they have a lot of value uh, genetically to myself and my landlords and, uh, and just cattle in general for many of our other neighbors and producers. We're looking at losses in, in fencing. We're looking at losses in pasture ground and, and you know, being able to convert that from, uh, from a grass to a protein source that we can use. At this point, he says ranchers in the area are working to find supplies and in desperate need of rain. We've lost we've lost lives of cattle and other livestock. We've lost our, our homes. We've lost uh, barns. We've lost grass. We've lost vehicles. We've lost our livelihoods in a lot of ways. And so it's going to take years to, to recover that. As Western Kansas ranchers face a recovery, that could take years. Reporting from Russell County, Kansas, I'm Tyne Morgan. Now, the Kansas Livestock Marketing Association has set up an account for those wanting to help donate. There are also several drop-off locations for hay and supplies. All of those resources can be found on agweb.com or drovers.com. Well, it's through the true heartbreak and struggles that agriculture community rallies around those who need it. A good reminder of hope and community as we enter 2022. Be sure to join us next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Happy New Year's, everyone, and wishing you a safe, healthy, and happy 2022. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.